This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. Well, take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. If you're visiting Prince today, our normal habit, our bread and butter, week in and week out, is we walk through books of the Bible and we just go through them. And uh, we just finished uh, Jonah. We did a year or so in Hebrews. And uh, we will pick up, Lord willing, another book in January. This is what we do. So generally what we're doing on Sunday mornings is what we would call biblical theology, meaning we're opening up the Bible and we're looking at a text and saying, what does this tell us about God? And the next week we look at the next verses. But there are times in the life of the church in which we need maybe some more systematic theology, meaning we need to take a topic and try to understand it. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about the presence of God. We don't do this very often. We're almost normally always going through a book of the Bible, but this is important for us. And the reason is, is because of what I communicated to you last week. And I never say this, but I'm going to say it. If you didn't hear last week's sermon, you need to go listen to it. Not because it was that exceptional, but because you really won't have a sense of what God is doing in this moment in our church with what, without hearing what I said last week. And I told you last week that God has given us a vision for our church that we would be the visible presence of Jesus in our community. That people would see Jesus through the ministry of this church. That we would be a healthy and growing family of faith, passionate about these three things, experiencing, enjoying, and expanding God's presence. Those are the three E's of our, of our vision statement. We want to experience, enjoy, and expand God's presence to every neighbor and every nation. That's the vision God has given us. But I do have a sense that sometimes this talk of the presence of God is foreign to us. We may not have thought about this in much, uh, in really clear terms. And so we're going to take some weeks to talk about it. And I want to begin this morning by giving you just an overall vision for God's presence. A vision for God's presence. We were in a staff meeting a while back. And I don't know how it came up. But we began to discuss kind of defining moments in our a Christian life, moments in which the light came on and we saw things new or saw things different than we ever have. Five people in that room, your pastors and ministers, five people said the same thing. They said that they really first began to understand themselves and God when they understood that the Bible is one story. That there is one grand narrative from Genesis to Revelation and it was an understanding the story of the Bible that the light came on and they first began to get passionate about God. I don't know if I should tell you this or not, but three out of those five pastors and ministers in the room said that they first learned this from a children's Bible, okay? One of your pastors, this is an anointed, ordained, theologically trained man of God said the greatest revelation he had was one night he was putting his kids to bed and he read the first chapter of the Jesus Storybook Bible and all of a sudden he started to understand the Bible. Now, I'm not going to tell you who that guy is because it might be embarrassing for him, but his name rhymes with Scott Moody. And um, <laughs> he was... <laughs> but the reality is all of us kind of said the same thing. And 
A couple of us agreed that there was this little, little moment in the beginning of that Jesus storybook Bible in which we first begin to understand something new. And you've heard this before, but you need to hear it again. It says this. Now, some people think that the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away, and at times they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. That's you. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. There are two really important truths that come from that. The first is that every single part of the Bible is pointing us to Jesus Christ, amen? From beginning to end, everything is pointing us to Jesus. And the other important truth is the fact that this is one story. It's not just a bunch of disconnected stories, but it is all telling us one thing. And listen, the only way we will ever understand this book and the only way we will ever understand our life is to see it in light of that one story that God is telling. Because the truth is, you have a part in that story. And the story that God has been writing is the story he wants to write in you. And it's the story he wants to write in us. And from beginning to end, it is the same story. And so this morning, I want to introduce you to the story. And I want you to see from beginning to end how the story is a story of God and his desire for us to find abundant life in his presence. From Genesis to Revelation, this is a story of God pursuing us and bringing us into the place that we were created to live, that we might experience and enjoy and expand his presence. Now, I want to say one thing. I, I'm going to tell you uh, from beginning to end a little bit of this story. And some of you who know the story well are going to say, Pastor, you forgot this and you forgot this. And let me just say, for every one thing I tell you, I could have told you 200 more. But I'm just going to give you a little glimpse of some highlights of how God is writing a beautiful story because I want you to see how that story affects us as a church and you individually. So let's write, look at, first of all, God's presence in Eden. You can write that down, God's presence in Eden. It's where the story begins. And so God has created Adam and Eve and everything that we see, and he has done so for his glory, that it might manifest himself from creation of nature all the way to every human being reflecting his beauty and his glory. But look what it says, and write this down, Genesis 2, 8 through 14. Genesis 2, 8 through 14. It says this, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10 of Genesis 2. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. 
And the gold of that land is good. And bdellium and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river, the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, you might wonder why all of those details are there. And we're going to see how important that little passage is to understanding your everyday life. You're not going to believe it, but it's true. The first thing you have to understand is Eden is always seen throughout scripture as the dwelling place of God. You have to get that. Eden is the dwelling place of God. It is often referred to as a garden temple. It is a garden in that God created Adam and Eve and gave them this place that they would take dominion over it, that they would work and keep it. But it is also a temple and it is the place in which God has chosen to dwell. God and his presence is dwelling in Eden. And you have that little passage in Genesis 3.8 in which it says that God walks in Eden among Adam and Eve. And so symbolizing the fact that Eden is the place in which God has chosen to dwell, meaning that God has chosen to dwell among Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created to live in the presence of God. And everything in their life depends upon the presence of God. Everything flows from the presence of God. Every need is met in the presence of God. All sense of life and purpose and home all flows from the presence of God. And that is symbolized in the two symbols you saw here in that passage. First, the tree of life. Do you see where it says there in verse 9, there was a tree of life in the midst of the garden? In the middle of the garden, there was this tree. And the Lord says in chapter 3 that whoever eats of that tree will have eternal life. They find their fulfillment in eating of the tree of life. They are, they are full and it, it satisfies them. There is life in this tree. And so it is, God has said, I've provided this tree, and as long as you eat of this tree and of the trees that I've given you, you will experience life that comes from me. But there's also another symbol. There is the river of life. Do you see that in verse 10? There's a river of life out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. And so there's this idea of Eden being this larger place, and within Eden there is a garden, and there is a river that is flowing from Eden into the garden. It symbolizes the fact that everything in the garden is also sustained by the presence of God. That river is coming from Eden, symbolizing that the presence of God is flowing into Eden, and everything that they need is found there. The tree and the river symbolize that life and blessing and purpose and satisfaction and a home is found in God's presence. Everything is found in the presence of God. Abundant life is found in the presence of God. And so the reason Adam and Eve have no guilt and, and no shame, and the reason they experience the best of all possible lives and the life that God created us for but was lost because of sin is not just because Eden was a wonderful place. It's because God was there. It's the presence of God in Eden that was sustaining them. And all of these symbols are reminding them that you are sustained and find all of your life and purpose because of my presence. Now, there is one beautiful passage that communicates this really clearly. There's a lot of them, but one is in Psalm 36, 7 through 9. You might want to write that down. Psalm 36, 7 through 9. Listen to what this says in Psalm 36. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 36. It says here in verse 8, they feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delight. That word delight is the word Eden. That's the word there in Psalm 36. 
So even in Psalm 36, David is saying this, the way in which we are sustained is from Eden. You say, well, aren't they out of Eden? Well, it's a symbol for the presence of God. That where do we find life? We find life in the presence of God. You give them drink from the river of your delight, from the river of your presence. That which flowed into Eden is what gives us life. And then look at what it says in verse 9 of Psalm 36. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. Light and life are found in the presence of God. Nothing is clear without God's presence. There is no satisfaction without God's presence. Everything is found there. Then it's interesting in verse 10, it says this, did you notice? And there that river of God's presence divided and became four rivers. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because if you think about the three E's that we talked about last week in our vision statement, really the garden represents the place in which Adam and Eve experience God's presence. They enjoy God's presence. It is there in which they know him and find their life in him. But the missionary mandate did not begin after sin came into the world. You need to know this. We often think that there was only a mission until sin came in. No, the mission of God is very clear in Genesis chapter 2. Because God's desire was that that presence being experienced and enjoyed by Adam and Eve would then be expanded as they're fruitful and multiplying to the ends of the earth. God's desire from the very beginning was that the entire earth be filled. And this is Habakkuk 2.14, that the earth be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And even the the vision of Habakkuk, which is a vision of, of water covering the sea, goes back to the Garden of Eden where God's desire is that his presence fill the entire earth. And so that mandate to be fruitful and multiply was a call for Adam and Eve to ensure that the presence that they're experiencing and the presence that they know would be the presence that covers all of the earth. Now there is a little picture here that I want you to see and, and, and I hesitated to do this because I, I'm, I'm terrible at drawing anything but I, I just sketched this literally right before the service and I wanted to put it up and here's the reason I want you to see it. Because what you're going to see is this little picture of Eden is shown us in every portion of scripture until the very end. So look at this right here. Do you see? Now, don't be discouraged that you can't draw as good as I can. I mean, you can't have it all, right? You can't have it all. So here's Eden representing the the presence of God. And that's a river. And I think that's an arrow. It's maybe a log. I think it's an arrow that's going from Eden into the garden. There's the tree of life. And so how is Eden and everyone in Eden, Adam and Eve, finding their fulfillment in life because God's presence and they're full of purpose and life and joy. And God's desire then was that from there, those rivers spread out into every corner so that every nation might experience the fullness of the presence of God. Now, if you have your booklet, I want you to write that down. You need to write that, that little picture down because I told you this, you're not gonna believe how that's a picture of what God wants to do in your life every single day. That's a picture of what God wants to do at Prince Avenue Baptist Church. That's a picture of our vision statement. That right there is a picture of how every neighbor and every nation can be touched by the presence of God through our church. You need to get this because you're gonna see in every place that we go in scripture, something that looks exactly like that. God pouring out his spirit on a people and those people then taking his presence to the ends of the earth. And so let's, let's look at the way that that happens. But the first thing we have to see is that Adam and Eve enjoying all of this believed the same lie that all of us believe. We believe the lie that there is some life better than life in God's presence. And so they rejected God and they, they chose to not eat from the tree of life, but the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. And 
the worst thing that happened to them, the worst thing is not the shame and the guilt and the pain and all of the suffering that would ensue. The worst thing that happened to Adam and Eve is they were removed from the garden. And to be removed from the garden is to be removed from God's presence. And you know what happened at that moment? Adam and Eve were exiled. And you need to remember that word, exiled, because every single person born after Adam and Eve was born with a feeling of exile. A feeling that there's something more, that we don't belong here, that there's got to be someplace else to go. We all have this emptiness and this void. And you know the reason? It's because you were created for the presence of God, but because of sin, you're not born in the presence of God. And until you come to know God, you will always feel a sense of exile. And even more, even as a believer, there will still be a little sense of exile because we don't get the fullness of God's presence again until glory, until heaven. And the reality is, is that every person feels this. And if you're feeling that, that's because there's something missing in your life. That's because there's no presence in your life. That's because you've missed Jesus, the only one that can bring you back into God's presence. And the rest of the Bible, listen, the rest of the Bible is God's pursuit of helping you experience abundant life in his presence. Do you get that? The rest of the Bible is one story. God's pursuit of you, primarily through the person Jesus Christ, who would die, who would shed his blood, who would be buried and would rise from the dead in order that you might come back into the presence of God. So that you might go from exile into adoption into the family of God so that you might know him personally. The rest of the Bible is God's pursuit of you to get you into his presence. Let me give you just a couple of tastes of how this works throughout the Bible. The first one I want you to see is God's presence in Israel or God's presence in Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and kind of explains what he wants to do with this people of Israel. And I, I think this language will sound familiar. Listen to this, Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He's taking them to a land. And I will make of you a great nation. Here, look at this. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you realize right there as God's forming this people Israel, you could draw the exact same picture we just had on the screen. Because here is God pouring out his blessing upon a people. And it is from that people that they will not only know God and enjoy God and experience God. It is from that one people that God intends to make himself known to the ends of the earth. And so God is going to say, I'm going to pour out my blessing upon you. So same picture, the blessing coming upon a people. And the blessing then expanded to everyone who comes in contact with that people. There it is again, it's the exact same picture. And God's journey with the people of God all the way into the promised land is pointing us to that. And there's a, there's a thousand little hints to that. I think about Leviticus 26, 12. And when the Lord says, I will walk among you as your God. And you know what? It's the exact same phrase that's used in Genesis 3, 8 when God says that he walks among his people in the Garden of Eden. God says, well, I still want to walk among you. I still want you to know me and experience my presence. Exodus 33, uh, the people of God are going into the promised land and God threatens that his presence will not go with them because of their disobedience. And Moses says this, how in the world is anyone going to know that we are the distinct people of God if your presence doesn't go with us? So the one thing that makes God's people distinct is the presence. It's not the songs, it's not the sermons, it's the presence of God. There are thousands of people hearing a sermon and singing songs, but the presence of God is what makes us distinct as a people. And then you see the way in which God shows that in the tabernacle, in the temple. 
The tabernacle and the temple are beautiful pictures of God's presence. So God delivers his people from Egypt and he's leading them to the promised land. And he is going to lead them by a pillar of fire, a cloud of fire and a cloud in the day. And, and the reality is all of that is my presence is leading you. My presence is going with you. That that's showing you that I'm with you. But the God tells them to, to build a tabernacle. And they would pick it up and they would move it from place to place. And every time you see something like this, it's just a remix of Eden. It's just Eden being displayed for us. And you might have noticed if you've read through Exodus, there's this really exciting part. And then we get to kind of a boring part where it's just a bunch of instructions on how to build a tabernacle. You ever skip that part? Don't raise your hand. But um, we get to that and we think, man, we had such a great story going. And then all of a sudden, there's another little narrative in about 30, 31, 32. But before that, it is just a lot of instructions. Do you know why? Because every specific instruction for the tabernacle was pointing us back to God's desire in Eden. I'll give you one example. You know the lampstand, the menorah? There's like a chapter on exactly what the lampstand would look like. And you want to say, well, can't we just put a candle on the wall? Like just one lamp? And God said, no, because that lamp was created in such a way that it symbolizes a tree, the tree of life, in which God was saying to his people, no matter where you go, you need to know this, that life and light are found in my presence. And if you try to go without my presence, there is no life and there is no light. I'm the one guiding you. I'm the one sustaining you. All of your vision and purpose and life and hope is found in me. And you could go through every instrument in the tabernacle and the temple and point it back to God's original design in Eden. It is absolutely incredible. And then you have the, the temple, the same picture, but a permanent structure so that the presence of God might be central to his people. Uh, there's all kinds of things. It was entered by the east in the same way the Garden of Eden was. It was guarded by these angels that were created in the same way the Garden of Eden was. There's all these precious jewels, exactly like we read in Genesis chapter 2. I want you to think about this. Think about, if you're with me, say amen. All right, think about this. You've got even the creation of the temple and the design of it. So there's the Holy of Holies and there is the holy place and there is the place in which God's people dwell and then the outer courts of the Gentiles. Do you know what the picture is? God's presence flowing to God's people, flowing out to the nations. There it is again. The creation of the temple pointed us back to Eden. It's just another way in which God is saying, this is the way life works, that my people get in my presence and then enjoy me and expand that presence to the ends of the earth. And everything in the Old Testament is pointing us back to the life that God created us for. The Old Testament is extremely sad because once again, God's people have rejected him. And once again, here's this important word I told you, the people of God are exiled. They're exiled. The temple is, is destroyed, and although they try to rebuild it, they continue to be rebellious against God. And so what happens at the end of the Old Testament is the presence of God is gone from his people. God has removed his presence from his people. There is no symbol of his presence. And generation after generation, 400 years, wait for the promise that someday there will be the ability to get back into the presence of God. Generations of people lost without any sense of God's presence. No life and no light. And then the next thing you see is the coming of Jesus. <laughs> and listen to how it says it in John 1. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here, if any of this sounds familiar, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And so all of a sudden, everything the previous generations had lost because they did not have the presence of God, Jesus now has because Jesus is the fullness of the presence of God walking among us. And in him is life, and in him is light. And then John 1.14, and the word became flesh, and you know this, and dwelt among us. It's the word for tabernacled, that the very presence of God is now coming to live among us. What that means is that there's some hope of finding life and purpose and significance and abundance in Jesus Christ. Because he has come to make a way through his death, burial, and resurrection that we might know the life of God once again. In Genesis 1.32, you see Jesus getting baptized and the spirit descends upon him like a dove. You know why? So that everyone would see that the presence of God was resting upon Jesus. In chapter 2, Jesus says, you destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. He wasn't talking about the temple that was made by men. He was talking about his own body. He said, destroy this temple because I am the temple of God and I will restore it in three days. And he does, right? And then you have a passage like John 4. Write that down if you can. John 4, look at what Jesus says to the woman at the well and see if any of this sounds familiar. This woman who cannot find any sense of purpose or significance or value in her life. Jesus says in John 4, 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The water that she is drawing out of the well. Listen to this. Does this have any significance based on what we've talked about? But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Because the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what Jesus is saying is this, if you're thirsty, then come and drink from me and you will find satisfaction in your soul. You will find abundance of life. You will experience me and enjoy me, but out of you will flow rivers of living water. You know why? Because that's what happened in Eden. Out of you is flowing rivers of water. So now all of a sudden you become a picture of Eden. You come to Jesus, you drink God's spirits in you and flowing out of you. This is the only thing that makes sense of John 10, 10, when Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. And some of you have struggled with that passage because you have not experienced abundant life in Jesus and you think it might not be true. I assure you it is true, but it's not experienced simply because you came to Jesus. It is experienced as you continue to drink from Jesus. But it's there. It's the life that we were created for in Eden and Jesus wants to give it to us in himself and so he offers it to us. And then in John 20, 21, the book of John ends with Jesus saying, as the Father has sent me, so I sent you. Well, how did the Father send Jesus? Full of the Spirit and then out to reach the nations. So all of a sudden we start to realize that God is doing something new. That God, in the same way, wants us to be the body of Christ, that we might be filled with his spirit and that people might be touched by us. And that's the next part of the story is that Jesus ascends and the spirit descends. That's Ephesians chapter 4. And it's also Acts 1 and 2. Jesus says, I want you to go take the gospel to the nations, but don't leave until the spirit comes upon you. Don't leave. Because you can't do what I called you to do without God's presence. Say God's presence. You can't do it without the presence of God. And then the most amazing thing happens. God chooses to put his presence inside of us. That now we become, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, the very temples of God. 
God's presence is in us. It is not in one location that everyone has to come and see. It is now in individual people who know Jesus Christ. He puts his presence there. But then in the most mysterious way, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this. That a local church, he says this, is being built together into a household for God. So it shows us that there is this individual element where we have the spirit of God, but there's also a corporate element that you cannot fully understand the purposes and plans of God outside of the ministry of a local church. Amen? You don't have to be a member of this one, but you have to be a member of some Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. You have to. Because Jesus says the way in which he is building his kingdom is by gifting individual people with his spirit and spiritual gifts. And when they come together, they do things that could not be done apart. But let me give you a vision for our church. It looks just like that first picture I showed you. Here's God in his presence sending to us his spirit and Ephesians 1, the fullness of his blessing. And we enjoy it, don't we? I love experiencing the blessing of God. And we experience God in corporate worship but he said, the reason I have done that is so that you might expand in my presence. And so what happens every week is we gather in the room like this and we learn how to experience him and enjoy him. And then we leave and every single one of us leaves and wherever we go, listen to this, God's presence goes. You go back to campus, God's presence goes with you. You go back to school tomorrow, God's presence goes with you. You go back to work, you go home, you do the dishes, you do the laundry, you go to work, God's presence goes with you. Why? Because it's right here. And you see this masterful plan in which God has said, what if I put my presence in you? Then everywhere you go, my presence goes. And God's vision for you as an individual and as a church is that your life would be that picture, that you would be so filled with the fullness of God by drinking from him every single day that out of the overflow of your life, people might come to see Jesus. Let me tell you how the story ends. It ends in Revelation 21. I'm just gonna read a few verses here. Which it says this, see if any of this sounds familiar. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, this is Revelation 21. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. We realize ultimately heaven will be on earth. There will be a, a new heaven that is baked on earth because God is bringing Eden here. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, here it is. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And then Revelation 22 says this, and then the angel showed me, here it is, the river of the water of life. This is in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's bright as crystal and it's flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Through the middle of the new heavens is a river flowing symbolizing the presence of God. And on either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Someone asked me this week, why are there no rivers flowing out of, of the new heavens and the new earth? Because the mission has been accomplished. The knowledge of the glory of God fills the entire earth as the water covers the sea. The mission is accomplished, but yet still, you know what heaven is? Heaven is the unhindered presence of God. The glory of heaven is that there's no more sin. The sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we can simply enjoy the life God has for us. That's heaven. Heaven is the uninterrupted presence of God. Now, I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, but you need to know something. 
you need to know, first of all, that the story of the Bible is God's dramatic pursuit of you. You don't pursue him, he pursues you. You would never pursue him in your own flesh. When Adam and Eve were hiding in shame, it is God who said, Adam, and God is still coming to you. God wants to clothe you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ in the same way he clothed Adam and Eve. God is pursuing you. And if you've ever thought that no one loves you, if you've ever thought that no one cares for you, and if you've never felt the feeling of someone lovingly and passionately coming after you and pursuing you and saying, I want you more than anything in the world, then you have not yet known the Lord because that's exactly what he's doing. He is after you. And the reason he's after you is because he has a vision for you. He wants you to experience the abundance of life. And listen, as long as we are in this world, we will get glimpsed and tastes. We will never have the fullness of God's presence because the fullness only comes someday when we're meeting with him in the new heavens and the new earth. But right now, as we pursue him and drink from him, we get to experience God on a daily basis. And the vision for our church and the vision for your life is the vision of John 7 in which Jesus says this, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink and out of him will flow rivers of living water. That's the vision. Like, I'm so jealous that you would have this experience. I'm so jealous that our church would be a place that we are drinking heavily from Jesus, daily from Jesus. Not every Sunday, but every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, drinking from Jesus. And out of us are flowing rivers of living water. And as a result, every neighbor and every nation is being touched by the presence of God. That's the vision. And that picture we drew is a picture of your life. How unbelievable that God would say, I want you to be the bearer of my presence so that others might be touched by me through you. And here's our invitation. It only starts with one thing. The starting place of that kind of life is one word, desire. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It starts with the desire. Do you want it? You say, I don't even know exactly what it is. Do you want the abundance of life in Jesus Christ? Do you want your life to be used with this massive story that God is writing? Do you want to find your purpose and significance in Jesus Christ? That's the question. Is there any desire? Because what we know for sure is this. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Desire. So here's how I'm going to respond this morning before we sing. If you sense God stirring in your heart and you say, God, I don't even know exactly what it means, but I, I, I do want that. I want my life to be used. I want to experience the abundance of life that is in your presence. And maybe for the first time you're saying that. Maybe you're just saying that again. Maybe there's something that's been quenching the spirit of God in your life. But God, all I know is I want it. It's the desire of my heart. I'm going to ask you right now to just stand. Let's just stand if that's the desire of our heart. I want God's presence. I said, let's stand if any of you want the presence of God. No manipulation here. I'm just saying as an act of faith. As an act of faith, say, Lord, that's the desire of my heart. I want it. I want you and I want to experience all that you have for me. And Father, we are so thankful this morning that you have promised to bless thirst and hunger. And God, we cannot satisfy ourselves. We can only be satisfied with you. But it begins with our pursuit. As you pursue us, we draw near to you. So God, I pray that there would be an authentic, a real hunger and thirst, a desire to say, God, I want everything you have for me. God, I thank you that, that there's the same story because there's the same God over and over. God desiring a people for his own possession who would be filled with him, who would make him known. God, that's the story and that's our story today. 
our stories that you have called us to be your people. That we might experience you and enjoy you and expand you to the ends of the earth. Father, I pray that neighbors would be touched, that nations would be touched as a result of what you're doing in this place. Father, in this moment, we're stepping out by faith and we're stepping out according to the promises of God. And all we're saying is we want you to do everything that you can do with us. We don't want to miss anything. Everything you have, we want. We don't even know what it means. We just want everything that you have. We don't want to miss anything. Just a minute as we sing. If you want to come and pray, if it's stirring in your heart, I want to plead with you to just step out. I know you may be in the middle of the aisle, but if you sense a need to come pray and humble yourself, we'll come and pray. If you want to talk to one of our pastors or prayer partners about your relationship with Jesus or a sin you want to confess or someone came in the first service, a prayer for a surgery that's coming up, whatever it may be, we want to minister to you in this moment. We want you to have the opportunity to come and to say, Lord, here's my heart. I'm really asking for you to do something. And so when we sing in just a moment, just come and respond to the Lord. Father, we thank you. You're the same God, the God of Adam and Eve, the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God of Peter who stepped out of the boat, the God of those who were there at Pentecost, and the God who's creating the new heavens and the new earth. Father, we thank you for that. Help us to trust you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.